Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show where we take what fans were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and the 90s, generally in letters to Doctor Who magazine, and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to what's said in the letters or it might go somewhere else entirely. This is podcasting without a safety net. For this episode, I'm joined by Gary from the Doctor Who Big Blue Box podcast. Hello, Gary. Hello, hello, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Are you intrigued as to what copy of Doctor Who magazine I have in front of me? I'm really intrigued, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> the, the past episodes I've listened to, it's always been, uh, which one, are we going to be stumped with some real classic stuff or is it going to be more, I don't know. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. All right then. This is Doctor Who magazine number 137 from June of 1988. Mm, I was eight years old. Interesting. Well, let's see what the people were saying. This first letter is called Bring Back the Suspense. In reference to the article What Price Fame, issue 134, we would like to make the comment that the writer is seriously unaware of general opinion. We have been watching since the mid-1960s, and although we accept the nostalgia trap tag aimed against critics of current Doctor Who, we feel that the quote, troublemakers have just outgrown the show is untrue because the show is definitely a shadow of its former self we feel the fan attacks are justified and john nathan turner is at least synonymous with this decline we particularly feel strongly that the scripts have suffered since 1978 i.e horror from fang rock humor should not predominate in any era current or not and that the program would benefit if the accent on suspense was again pursued. And that's from A.S. Dearman and D.R. Berthelot from Essex. Oh dear, that's not a very good, um, that's not a good letter <laughs> to kick things off, is it? This is, this is around season 24, 25, I guess, if this is the late 80s. Yeah, this is, a, yeah, this is 88, so season 25 is out that year, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. So, I, th- I think John Nathan Turner had as a fair amount of critics. It's fair to say, mm. and because he definitely changed the direction gradually as he produced, as he uh, progressed. Sorry, as him, uh, as a producer himself, and especially going into those McCoy years, you can see why him and Cartman and stuff they, you know, tried to change things up a bit. But I imagine there was a fair few letters like that that were a little bit cutting. That does sound a bit cutting. It does, and it seems to be in response to this article where I think they've they've made this quote that troublemakers have just outgrown the show, and these people are particularly annoyed at it. Although I've mm. got to take issue, if I, if I can jump in, <laughs> that they think things went downhill with Horror of Fang Rock. I think Horror of Fang Rock's a stone cold classic. Oh, it's an amazing episode. Yeah, we've um, yeah we've we reviewed that quite highly, I believe. Mm. Uh, a couple of years ago, we reviewed that one, and uh, yeah, it, it's an absolute classic. It's got that really cool horror almost old hammer horror vibe to it and it's very suspenseful and atmospheric it's a great episode that one so they're clearly not fans though not happy not happy but strange though isn't it because when i think of fans like old time fans i think oh they they would love a story like that and and here are people saying no fandom is a weird thing (laughs) a weird thing fandom is a weird thing that's got to be on a poster somewhere (laughs) that's got to be something that the fandom is it's it comes in waves as well it comes like it ebbs and flows. It's like sometimes you have a you have a little nugget that just sets fandom off on a real positive uptick, like Russell coming back. Mm-hmm. But then before that, you have these things like this, and it's yeah, it's, fandom's a weird thing. 
that has got to get onto a t-shirt i think definitely yeah no i thought i just just thought we'd kick off with that one because that was a it's interesting when you read a magazine from the the mid or late 80s people talk about you know we were watching back in the mid 60s because it was only 20 years previous you know it wasn't that long ago yeah true uh and, and well yeah, certainly and, not no yeah. no whereas these days you know we're talking 50 odd years ago so these people are much older now whereas here they were, they were in the prime they were probably my age you know when they wrote this anyway probably still seething writing <laughs> letters yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> shall we move on let's do it all right this one is called not a classic question mark Whilst everyone is entitled to their own opinions, I am sick of the permanent nostalgia of fans who are growing out of Doctor Who, with their incessant cheap jibes at the current season. I wouldn't mind it if these people had a point, but it is very rare that they do. Season 24 was by no means perfect, but in the classic Dragonfire and uproarious Paradise Towers, it has provided its quota of adventures to go into the show's Hall of Fame. And besides which, Sylvester McCoy is a fine doctor with the potential to become the best. It is the supposed all-time classics of the show that really disprove the so-called dedicated fans of the show. Nathan Brown's letter in Doctor Who magazine issue 135 was the perfect example of what I detest about these matters. He laments about season 24 and compares it with the frightening Pyramids of Mars. Having this story on video, I very much doubt that an 8-year-old, never mind an 18-year-old, would be in the least bit scared by it. And that's John T. Earle's Bletchley Milton Keynes. This is almost the flip side of the same coin. Yeah, I was going to say, this guy's going to bat a little bit for for McCoy and uh, almost trashing some of the, the older ones that a lot of people do consider classics, like Pyramids and stuff. So I think he's kind of wrapped up in the whole... Yeah, I love season 24 and what's going on with who right now. Yeah, th- this is a Jody is my doctor, I think, for 1988. Exactly, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like McCoy is certainly his doctor at this point in time. And uh, yeah, he's going to bat, which is which is really cool because we were saying that fandom is weird and, you know, we have the, uh, like the letter you read first <laughs> and then literally within a few seconds you can flip it and then yeah, you have someone that's really not happy with someone else is a it's just happy to uh to go to bat so as long as people aren't being dicks to each other you know then this is great i love this i love this whole actually i disagree with this person but here's a good reason why i feel that way it's not just you know i feel like you're wrong yeah so i I like this kind of debate this to and to and throw between who fans it's cool yeah exactly i mean i've got to take issue i mean he says the uproarious paradise towers is on its way to the hall of fame i mean i I was 13 years old when this uh, when Paradise Towers came out and I I was happy that there was a new doctor and you know we'd gotten over the the sacking of Colin and all that but even I could see at 13 that Paradise Towers was not a stone cold classic headed towards the Hall of Fame so this seems a, a little bit overplayed uh, in this letter a little bit a little bit yeah I think it's very difficult to to see something that's just been out recently and and label that as an instant classic I think sometimes, or if, even if you're wrapped up in an episode and you absolutely love it and you think, yeah, that's going to stand the test of time. I think sometimes time and, you know, a little bit of uh, changing of, of who you are and how you view things and stuff, I think that determines classics as well, which is why a lot of other franchises, their work gets 
either loved or trashed when it first comes out, but then decades later, it's like, actually, that was pretty cool. You know, like the Star Wars prequels and, mm. and all that stuff. Um, so I think Who's in a similar, it runs a, a similar track to that, where sometimes you have to let the, you have to let the dust settle a little bit. And then when you go back and look at stuff, it's like, actually, yeah, that, even though it was kind of okay at the time, that's actually an absolute belter now. So mm. it's, it's difficult, I think, to, uh, when this guy was wrapped up in, in McCoy at the time. I mean, fair play, though. If he, lo- if he loved McCoy and loved the stuff, then that's cool. But I think when you label something a classic, it's difficult. So, yeah, Paradise Towers being a classic. That's kind of age like milk, hasn't it? That statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paradise Towers. Just, just yeah. a little bit. Uh, I mean, it makes me think... I. I often say of the current era, Jodie hasn't had a classic story, and I, I wish she, she would have, and, and I hope that coming up she has one. When I look at a letter like this, I think, well, will I look back at Jodie in 10 years' time and think, oh, well, actually, Demons of the Punjab was probably good enough to be a classic or something like that. Mm. Yeah, p- perhaps, yeah. I mean, I think when we're, I don't know. Old and grey. 10, 50, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't want to say old and grey. When we're better, when we're older and better, um, and we look back and, you know, 10, 15 years have gone by, we might be like, actually, you know, that was a, yeah, Demons of the Punjab was a, was a really, really good story. We were just all wrapped up in the, in the, uh, in the fandom stuff mm. that was going on at the time. You know, it kind of blinds what you actually think about uh, uh, the actual episode. And there's probably a couple like that from Jodie's era, to be fair. I, I agree with you. I don't think I, I can... I can't think of an episode right now that I will label as a as a classic. I'm just not, mm. I just can't do that at the minute. But you never know. Twenty yeah. years time, yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the flip side of the coin though is we've all recently watched season twenty four when it came out on Blu-ray. Well, rewatched, I should say. And I look at things that at the time, like I thought Dragonfire was by far and away the best of that season when I watched it as a kid, and. Now I look at it and I think, oh gosh, this is very brightly lit. This is a bit hammy. <laughs> this is this is actually not as good as I thought it was when I was a kid. So there is a flip side to that coin as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, there's been uh, multiple times where uh, my co-host Adam and I are reviewing a, a certain story, especially from the classic years, mm. and sometimes it's almost a given that you're going to give it a high score because everybody views a certain story as a classic. Yeah. So. People think, oh, they're bound to give that a high score. And there's been a couple of times where I'm like, no, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not, uh, for some reason, it's, I've watched it many times and I've enjoyed it, but I've just not, I don't know, I've just not got to that point where I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a 10 out of 10 episode or anything like that. So there's, mm. you're absolutely right. There is a flip side to that where, yeah, classics are not always, I don't know, in your own internal opinion, a classic that you don't agree with fandom. Exactly. Shall we move on to our third letter? Let's do that. Number three. This one's called Uniquely British. Ron Plath expressed the sentiments of many US fans who are attracted to Doctor Who as a welcome change from American network TV. Many recent trends in the program have been blamed on a desire to gear Doctor Who towards the American market. That reasoning ignores the fact that the program's uniqueness and Britishness was responsible for it gathering such a large US following in the first place. I'd also like to get on my soapbox for a moment. It's all very well for Michael Gray to hail Sylvester McCoy as the man who has saved Doctor Who from the brink of cancellation, and for Peter Grimway to say that he hated the Colin Baker series. 
The blame should not be laid at Mr. Baker's door. The man is an actor who was given a brief as to how to play the character and was stuck with some truly dreadful scripts. Seasons 22 and 23 weren't dreadful because of Colin Baker, but because of the production team, the script editor and the producer. Mr. Grimwade made some interesting points from the unique viewpoint as a writer and director, but I think the current production team and BBC hierarchy should pay attention to his comments. That's from Betsy Roberts in Macon, Georgia, in the US uh, of A. Mm, okay, there's a few bits to, to pick out on that one. Yeah, um, take your pick on those. Yeah, so she's saying that, well, she's obviously a fan of, of Colin Baker mm. and saying that it's probably not his fault that uh, the Doctor Who went on to have that kind of, is it going to be cancelled, is it not? Mm. And she doesn't really agree with McCoy being the saviour because we know that, you know, with a bit of hindsight, that that absolutely wasn't the case. Yeah. So she's obviously feeling some strong vibes there for, for Colin. Um, I imagine that uh, this is another one of those kind of modern, we can apply this to modern Jodie era, Mm-hmm. where there's a, a big portion of fandom that feel like she's she's a great actress, but she just hasn't had anything that well written for her to, to excel in as this character. And possibly, to compare to Colin, if I can jump in, the yeah. costume. I think Jodie's costume is one of the most costumey of modern Doctor Who, and I don't think it's really suited her at all. I thought maybe they would have changed it up here and there, but she's just stuck, been stuck in that coat, different coloured T-shirt, and that's it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah, you're right. There is that kind of with the previous doctors. They look just like. Well, Matt always looked like a just a guy in a very smart suit that had like a little bit of quirk to it, like the turned up trouser bottoms and you know the bow tie and stuff. And then Tennant was again just a smart looking suit, but you know the whole Converse trainers and stuff. Yeah. So you're right. Jodie's got more actually more of a Colin Baker esque sort of pantomime costume thing going on. Mm. yeah absolutely right so um but yeah it just it does sound like she feels that colin's a great actor and he just wasn't given the a great right a great story to really excel in and stuff like that so that's interesting that uh, because a lot of people view it the other way around a lot of people view that you know god bless colin <laughs> we love colin but mm. he just doesn't appear very high on people's lists and i hate lists anyway but he doesn't normally appear in like people's uh their favorite list of doctors he's always further down the list yeah and uh, so it's almost the other way round in reality. So you can see what she was trying to get, trying to get through with the letter. But yeah, it was almost Colin um, brought the, the ratings down because people didn't really, couldn't really get on board with his doctor. And then when McCoy came along, you could see right, okay, cool, they're gonna, they've moved in a slightly different direction. They're gonna do this and that. But ultimately, the the dudes at the BBC weren't having any of it. But it's interesting that that letter is a certain way at that time back in the eighties. But in hindsight. Mm. It's actually the reverse that was, that, that was the reality. <laughs> what I found interesting is she talks about, you know, they're, they're trying to gear the show towards the American market. Now, if she had written this in 1996, around the time of the telly movie, I'd be like, well, yeah, she's, she's quite right. I can see what she's saying. But for the life of me, and I was a fan around this time, I can't think of anything they were trying to... Well, I guess Perry, Perry, the pretend American companion. I mean, that's a whole weird thing in itself, how Nicola Bryant is English. (laughs) And JNT was saying pretend to be American. (laughs) Even in her interviews with Doctor Who magazine, she's like, oh, yes, I've got dual citizenship. And it was all just made up. Um, Aside from Perry, I can't think of any anything, actually, that was really geared towards the American market. Can you? Other than the TV movie. Yeah, but this is back in 88 when she's writing this letter. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Until we got to that point where they did try to do that, 
rightly or wrongly, there wasn't anything that I could, because she does say something around being quintessentially British is the thing that makes Doctor Who what it is kind of thing. I think that's what she's getting at. Yeah, no, I think but she's right the, the, about that. Yeah, but there wasn't anything that you thought, oh, that's going down a road that's more sort of US, by, you know, trying to either appeal to the US market or just trying to be from a production point of view. It feels like a US TV show. I can't, I can't think of anything like that, certainly up to season 24. Like, you know, this is coming to the end of the, the classic era and I can't, I can't put my finger on anything that's like, actually, yeah, that feels like a US show. I wonder what she means by their, what they're trying to do to appeal to that market. I wonder what she means by that. Yeah, I have no idea. Because, I mean, this is the June issue. It would have came out in the month previous. So she's nowhere near seeing season 25, even if she was seeing, like, bootleg videos of it. You know, that wasn't out until later in the year, I don't think. Yeah. Unless there was something that happened in the US that made... Maybe there was whoever broadcast the, the show in the US. Maybe they amped up their their advertising or she saw like yeah. a bit more merch maybe something like that maybe something like that i mean they had those weird little uh bus tours as well that jnt used to organize oh, although yeah. maybe that was a yeah. year or two earlier than this but you know i'd see pictures of janet janet fielding would be on them with colin and and janet had grown a hair out as i recall and as a fan i was like oh that can't be tegan she hasn't got the right hair uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's how yeah. weird i was as a fan <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, um, yeah, there was things like that going on. But again, that wasn't, I can't see that that's, that was aimed at anything outside of the UK market. And it, not even intentionally so. It was just what they did. You know, it was just that thing. I don't think they had, I don't think anybody had in the back of their mind at this point anyway. Yeah, we're going to start doing some some things to appeal to any other markets. Um, yeah. maybe I think that was a couple of years off, though. I think when Doctor Who was winding up, and uh, some other people across the pond, probably in Canada, actually, when they started to have talks with people about, which ultimately led to the TV movie. Mm-hmm. Up to that point, I don't think anybody had sort of, you know, a, an, alter, an ulterior motive to appeal to other markets. Yeah. So um, I, what, she must have seen something, though. She must have read something or seen something that made her feel that way. It's an interesting letter, that one. There was another another point in her letter as well, later on, where she it, it feels like, as a US fan, uh, potentially she's um, she's she's wanting more. Though it feels like the, the the vibe of the letter is that you know this whole appealing to the US market. It feels like she's up for that though. She'd she'd happily have a bit more uh, Doctor Who over in the US. This is interesting. Mm, exactly. Well, look, I want to make an appeal to our listeners now. If you're in the US and you're around at this time, <laughs> can you let us know what? Uh, what was her name? Betsy. Was it Betsy? I've got to Betsy. open the magazine yeah. again. Yeah, Betsy Roberts. Let us know what Betsy Roberts might have been on about because that's got us both intrigued now. Yeah. Yeah. She must have seen something. Or maybe she's just chatting with friends. She's had a few beers one night and <laughs> they've spoken about Doctor Who in the US and they've all had a little debate and she's gone home and, and wrote the letter and now she regrets it because it's a drunken drunken thought process who knows well, I, I tell you those things happen i recall after a convention in sydney back in the late 80s uh a group of people went to pizza hut and uh wrote an inebriated little letter to sylvester mccoy on a grease-stained uh, pizza hut napkin <laughs> and actually got a response about a month no later way. from Sylv, yeah, which ended with <laughs> i think uh, i hope you enjoyed your pizza or something <laughs> 
<laughs> There's a story I've never told on the podcast before. Oh, that's that's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, Gary, it's been a delight to have you on uh, Primary Sources. I wanted to have you on for so, so many episodes now, and we finally got to do it. Finally, yeah. It, we've, it's been two ships passing. Uh, but thank you very much for having me. It's been a blast to, uh, to, to go back to the 80s and, and see what fans thought of the show at that point. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, anytime. time. 